welcome to episode 7 of Islington Mill is Queer. Islington Mill is Queer is a podcast series dedicated to recording the history of one of the UK's most beloved art spaces, Salford's Islington Mill, with a focus on the queerness of that history and of the space itself. For this month's episode, I am joined for the first time by not one but two guests, stars of stage and screen and two of the best known and most loved drag queens in the UK and members of the family Gorgeous, Cheddar Gorgeous and Licorice Black. For a number of years now, both Cheddar and Licorice have had a shared studio space in Islington Mill called The Drag Lab, which as the name would suggest is a place where they can hone their drag craft and create interesting visual looks and aesthetics for their work. The Drag Lab was the inspiration for the recent Channel 4 documentary reality show series featuring the family gorgeous called Drag SOS, in which um, the queens toured around the UK in a minibus and each week they would go to a different town and find different victims who they would put in drag and get them to perform at the end of each show. I wanted to speak to the queens about how the show came to be, but also finding out a bit more about the history of the Drag Lab and their residence in the mill, and how that has impacted on the cultural life of the mill, but also the queerness of this space. Having a constant drag queen presence within Islington Mill has definitely added to the visual queerness of the space, but also to the queerness of it artistically. And I wanted to speak to Cheddar and Licorice about that. And so, without further ado, I'm going to pass me back to myself and my guests, Cheddar Gorgeous and Licorice Black, for episode 7 of Islington Mill is Queer. Yes, it's rolling. Are you ready, girls? Oh, very much so. So, so enthusiastic. So enthusiastic. (laughs) Jamie, that wasn't even sarcasm. It's just I've only got the one voice. You have resting sarcasm voice. (laughs) Well, welcome to a very special edition of Islington Mill is Queer, where we've had to decamp to one of the smaller rooms, which you might be able to hear because of the reflection coming through on the microphone, but it's, uh, it'll be fine. We'll work our way through it. And you might hear some drills. There you go. You just heard one. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. So I am here with two special guests. I think this is the first edition of Islington Mill is Queer I've done with two people. So it's a a first. A threesome. My first ever (laughs) audio (laughs) three-way. And those two lovely special guests are Cheddar Gorgeous and Licorice Black. Hello. And we're here today to talk about the Drag Lab, which is... Where dun dun dun! <laughs> um, I do have a traditional first question that I usually ask, but I think for the sake of this one, I'm actually I'll maybe ask that later. Can you tell the listeners what is the drag lab? Can you give us an explanation? Because I'd rather you did it than I did it. It's a mess. It's um, a myth, a legend, a. Um uh, it's many things. <laughs> Basically, it's a shared studio space where a bunch of uh, us drag queens got together and created somewhere where we could uh, create costume, 
where we could get ready, uh, where we could store all of our many wonderful garments. So it's a bit of a mixed use art space. And okay. so when people think of drag, they'll often think of, of uh, fabric costuming, which is what licorice focuses on. Mm -hmm. um, but also we do a lot of stuff with glue guns, with uh, industrial paints, okay. with any materials we can clobber together to turn into beautiful things. And just for the sake of clarity, could you tell me who works there? Yeah, so currently we is myself, Lucas Black, um, Cheddar Gorgeous, Anaphylactic, and Banksy. Banksy. Yes. I've heard that name before. Yes. Banksy. Not the artist, not the artist Banksy, unfortunately. The artist formerly known, known as, as Banksy. Banksy. Yeah. Um, we have, um, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it, the seven foot seven ladder foot in a wig. Model. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super noodle of the world. That's Super noodle. Yeah. <laughs> that is She's glorious. Right, so now that we've, so it's, and, and, and the word is lab, so I guess there's a bit of experimentation that goes on in the lab, but it's a place where a bunch of drag queens make their looks. Yeah. Essentially. In yeah. a nutshell. Okay, yeah. so we've got that established. So now I'm going to dial back to the first question, and you can both answer that um, in your own time, which is, do you remember the first time you ever encountered or came to or saw Islington Milf? I definitely do, do you? You go. Oh, I'll go first then, shall I? Um, so for me, it was a Tranaki event. Oh, it was wow. A Chanaki event, and it was, I think, one of the um, one of the balls. Mm -hmm. It might have been a Halloween ball or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was definitely one of the, the first, if not the first time. I think yes. it definitely was the second or something. Yeah. So um, we went to the balls, and I think I'm not sure if I competed in one first or whether I went to one and then I competed the next uh -huh. time. But um, yeah, it was definitely a fabulous time. It's when cool. we were just starting out on our drag. Yeah. adventures because this is going back a way way yeah now so um there's definitely very interesting pictures of myself and lil queen who uh, who is here what lil i should say um so yes we're very baby drags yes. at that point and it was when there was still a nightclub here mm -hmm. it was just this fabulous kind of event of not being in the center of town and kind of being a bit further out so yeah I, I think I remember us doing maybe promo shots for that event in our flat with yourself yes. and um, Violet and Wangu. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were like covered all covered in blood. Yes, and, and oh yes, and there was yeah. God, the memories. That's another show we had with Samane was there, or maybe it was all the same. Um, show. We did yeah. the blood. We definitely did a blood one in your flat. Yes, and then we obviously did the um, the camp one as well. Yeah, um, where we were getting taught how to be camp. Oh yeah, and I failed on music history lesson. Um, because I didn't know who Divine was on my... It was a, it was a sketch. It was, oh, okay. Yeah, it was a sketch. <laughs> so I had, to get, I had to get told off and I had to run away because I'd got... And they had us marching down the street and it was very fabulous. God, those were the days. Oh, that's lovely that actually your first memory is tied in with Tranarchy. That's yeah. quite nice for me to hear. Uh, full disclosure, Tranarchy was a night that myself and my partner used to run. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, you can go back and listen to episode four of Isn't Camilla's Queer with me and Joe talking about that. Right, okay. Cheddar, I'm feeling the question at you now. Do you remember your first encounter with Islington Mail? I think Mail? it was probably also one of your events. I feel like it was one of the really early Christine events. Oh, yeah. What years were they? So, I have to think about that. I think, off the top of my head, I think that the first one... 12, 
maybe it was 2012 or it could have been yeah. 2013. I feel one like of the it was other. a Christine event that yeah. I was here for, watching Christine getting people to rim her from the audience. Yeah. I've definitely been to one of those events as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might have been a later one. And yeah. I, I can't connect the dots actually. My memory is notoriously bad because I've got a, <laughs> I've got, I've a, I had a brain thing when I was uh, in my late teens. I oh, had your, a brain thing. That's your excuse. Yeah. That's my excuse. Yeah. I'm actually just really it. fucking vacuous. <laughs> Um, well, so I, I always go, it's not because I'm vacuous, vacuous. it's because I had a brain condition and I'm vacuous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, my memory is very, very bad and I can't connect the dots of how then, um, how then I got to know Bill and uh, the discussion of having a space here. Mm -hmm. And I, I really can't connect those dots together. I remember some, some phone calls and some emails with Bill because mm. um, I, I remember putting out online that me and Anna were looking for a new space because we had a, a little what we the original drag lab which was on Hilton Street in the northern quarter many many years ago okay. um, and we we put out a little message going we're looking for a new space because we need more room and mm. um, I remember I think Bill got in touch through that cool and yeah right so the drag lab existed before it was oh, yeah. here mm. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. What yeah. was the first iteration of the drag lab? We were in a strange former office building in, on Hilton Street. And there were a number of us. So Lil had a studio there at one point. Yeah, and then Moody shared a yeah. space, which yeah. is kind of very, <laughs> kind of very mirroring. One too. I didn't know. I kind of just came and visited, really. Yeah. I yeah. never had a space there. And we just did it. We did a lot of shots. So we did things like the SAS. The yeah. original SAS photo, which I still use as a profile picture. Yes. So <laughs> a lot of like Classic. old things happened there. Then we all moved here and because the mill extended out a hand and offered us a space as part of a programme they were running at the time yeah. to get more interesting art stuff happening here. Well, that certainly worked out, didn't it? Well, it did. And we've yeah. been here now how many years? Six? Over six. I oh. think six, possibly seven. How old um, are we? I, yeah. yeah, six or seven. I remember that the room that the drag lab is in now used to be a yoga studio. Yes. And actually, one of the Vogue balls that we did here, we used that as a green room. So you possibly could have yeah. popped into that room to go yeah, backstage and before and then, yeah, you ended up taking it. I do remember that Lil won a prize at that. So she had that. She was in that room quite a bit and somebody tried to steal her prize. And we're like, no, bitch, that's Lil's. So, yeah. Um, yeah, do you... So, six years, is it, do you think? I definitely at least seven. six years, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a bit longer. But we did actually used to have two spaces. So we oh. had... What is the drag lab now? Yeah. Um, as sort of a more open, sort of like shared kind of space. And then we had what is actually now Lil's studio. We had that as a storage room. Oh wow! And we used wardrobe. to have a lot more of us as well. There used to be um, there was ten at, at, the, at, our, at, one at our big point. We were there were ten of us. Yes. Wow! Who's who's the ten queens then? Uh, there was so Lil, Dwayne. We kind of shuffled around a lot. Yeah. So the orig originals was yeah, Lil, Dwayne, um, Grace. Grace. Was Laurie ever? I don't think Laurie was don't ever. Uh, myself, Anna, Cheddar. I think we were the original people that yeah. shared a space. Mm. And Sissy then Blair. Yes, Narcissa Nightshade. Miss Blair has been in. We've had a different photographer. I can't think of her name. Oh God, Ian. Ian Blessing. Photographer who never actually even used the space. He never. But... He barely used <laughs> the space. He but just, paid rent. He did well for a while. <laughs> 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 His contribution was very valued. 
Oh, and then we had Kelly Cullum was in there. For was a Kelly bit. in there for a bit? Oh my bit. god! Um, so yeah, we've had like a bit of a. It's, it's all been shuffled around at yeah. some point. You um, didn't. Those people weren't all there at once, though. No. So there was a okay. point when we. There was, That's there was a, a lot point of people. When we yeah, had, there was. Yeah, there was ten in at one time. There was one point where it was, oh, Cheddar, Donna Trump, Donna, Grace, oh. Lil, myself, Anna. Kelly and Narcissa. There was one point when all of us were in. Oh, and yeah. Rudy with photography. I'm, yeah. I don't know how. Looking back at it, I've got the accounts. Got that is accounts. like yeah. for the listeners at home. It's how big is it? How would you say it's, it's like maybe? It's one of the middle's biggest studios, but it's but it, not. but still, it's like maybe fifteen feet deep. Yeah. Fifteen yeah. by fifteen. Fifteen by uh, twenty. Fifteen by twenty-five. At the probably max. probably something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. I think we all had a lot less stuff. Yeah. When this was uh, it. Yeah, okay. So, looking at the space now, so we have our se- our whole wardrobe, our whole space, the drag lab, is sectioned into different areas. So we have a crafting area, we've got a getting ready area, and then we've got a wardrobe area. Yeah. So what we do with our wardrobes now is, what I have to myself, I used to share with Anna. Yeah. So that just shows that we've expanded yes. our wardrobes Nine. and our... And creativity. And who... Hannah was here at a point as well, so I'm just... Oh, wow, yeah. The Hannah, 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 Yeah. Hannah. Oh, God. So we've had photographers, um, illustrators, yeah. um, myself, like, being a costume maker, hairstylists. So it's been a real mixing pot of... Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't actually realise that. that it, in its own right, it's been quite a hub mm, of totally. uh, creators and people, like, using it for different... Not just for drag and for costume and look creation, but for, like photography and other things as well. Yeah, we kind of created our own mini sort of Islington Mill in Islington yeah. Mill. Yeah, yeah. Like a Russian doll. We're at our <laughs> smallest point we've ever been in that yeah, respect. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and that, that's not like a, oh, we're dwindling. Yeah. That's just because actually the people who started out with us ended up having their own studio yes. spaces mm. elsewhere. Like Lil and Dwayne. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And like Sissy moved into an apartment where she had more room. Yeah. It was like, so it was, it's one of those things um, um, and Donna moved into a house with another mm-hmm. artist. So it's, um, I think it has literally just been, yeah, all of those people, except maybe Blair, I think Blair left, didn't she? And didn't go to another studio space. No. But every, every, yeah, everything's kind of like shuffled around. Yeah. And, Grace now has her own studio space. Obviously, yes. Grace was involved with things yep. up here as well. So, yeah, it was all that kind of lot. How interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm currently, for the, the good of the tape, I'm currently looking at the, the rent history of the lab. Ah, There's documentation, you know. Yeah. I've, got, I've got procedures in place. It's all good. Very good. You really are organised. I haven't a clue about that kind of stuff. I'm awful <laughs> at that. So who is the, who's there at the moment then? Um, so it's myself, Cheddar, Anna and Banksy were the, were the four. Oh yes, we've already covered this, yes. haven't we? Um, do you feel like, like hearing now that it was such a hub mm-hmm. and from the sounds of it, like so many of the people who were working at, over to various points mm-hmm. of the Drag Labs history are queer, right? Mm-hmm. It could yeah, be like a lot of them. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Do you feel like your presence within Islington Mill has made Islington Mill itself more queer, visibly queer. Like, the, the, the title of this podcast is Islington Mill is Queer. Yeah. So that is one of the key areas of interests for both myself as the, the host and the producer, but also for Bill as the producer as well, to document the history of the space and how it's been changing over time, but also very much to document its queerness. Mm-hmm. And definitely, 
I feel that the lab has brought a lot more visible queerness um, to Islington Mill's aesthetic. Like, do you feel like, have you seen Islington Mill change? Is it, obviously we're talking and there's like drills and stuff going on and the scaffolding <laughs> right there. So physically there it's changing. Change, yeah. It is so probably always going to change. But do you feel like you've made a queer around here? Um, I think we've done a different kind of queer really because um, Islington Mill in my eyes has always been a very queer open space and a lot of art spaces well so, some aren't I've, I've worked in a lot of art spaces that haven't been but definitely Islington Mill has always had this queer undertone that it you know it, it ran queer events and queer artists use the space but I think we've been a very visible queer yeah. presence with being you know because you can't exactly miss us we're all a big room of drag queens so uh-huh. and you know we've kind of we definitely make ourselves known and we've advertised that, you know, this is the home of the Manchester Drag Lab and this yeah. is where we have based ourselves from. So yeah. we've kind of very hunkered down. We don't, we don't, we don't come in fleetingly either. We're pretty much, there's somebody in every single day. Yes. So it's not sort of like, oh, you you may see us one, once yeah. or twice. Like, there's always one of us floating around doing yeah. something and we painted our door pink and like, you know, so we're, we're very there, we're very visible. Yeah. Very, very, I feel like queerness in the mill comes very much in waves. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I'm quite comfortable with that. Like, I think you will have like surges that happen. So I think in the couple of the first, like the first couple of years, it felt like we, we certainly brought an, a little bit of a new energy, a, re, a re-emergence of that energy mm-hmm. to the mill mm-hmm. uh, that encouraged other things to start taking place. But obviously they were already taking place here yeah. with kind of club events and things that yeah. happened. But it became almost like a leftover residue from those infrequent events that was then always flowing through the space. And yeah. there is something incredibly potent about the visuality of drag mm-hmm. as a, a, a signifier of queerness. And I think... Because and it's less about almost, I almost feel like we've never got involved enough in the life of the mill um, in terms of formalized events and going to other things. But I think I underestimate the impact of the visibility of drag. Yeah. That's this number. Yeah. I'm just going to take a call from the sexual health clinic. Because I, of your responsible sexual health. I'm going to do it outside. Okay. Hello. So, we were just talking before Cheddar was rudely interrupted by the clinic. I would have had the conversation in here, but uh, there's absolutely no shame in talking about sexual health. No, I not wanted, at all. I wanted to create an air of mystique. Mystique? What did she talk about with the nurse from the sexual health <gasps> clinic? Tune in know. next week to find out <laughs> if she survives. <laughs> no, but we were talking about, like... It was interesting that you were saying that you felt like the mill already was queer friendly. Mm-hmm. When you came, when you came here to start the lab, did you how did you find the surrounds like Salford? I know this area is getting very gentrified now, and since we've all been here quite a lot, it feels a lot more queer friendly, or at least I don't know, uh, not like I'm a visibly mask presenting person, so I don't feel like I'm ever in that much danger. But how did you find it, like when you first came here and? There's a council estate right there. There's two tower blocks right there. It is removed from the city. You know, did you, did you, was there any tension or anything? Or did you? I think there's, well, I feel like there's nothing queerer than contrast. 
yeah. uh, and so for me it adds to that experience and I think certainly there's not a middle class gay safety here in the same way that you get when you cross the river yeah um, but I mean come on queer people are working class yeah <laughs> normally yeah. Um, I think we uh, so for me and like coming from a working class background like it didn't bother me. It didn't feel like I didn't feel too out of order. But like you, I'm fairly masculine presenting uh-huh. most of the time. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I've ne- I've never felt at risk here. Have you? Uh, I think there's definitely been moments where I've kind of been a bit like ooh ooh. You know, um, yeah. it's kind of been um, you know, see, say just wait for a taxi or mm. you know when I'm coming back from a gig or something. There's been a few moments where I thought, like, oh, God, this could be it. I could just, like, totally be, like, jumped to something. But yeah. I think when I definitely when I moved in here, though, because I was much younger then, um, I kind of was just a bit blind to it. I didn't really even consider it as a thing. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm just in the... I kind of considered it part of the city, a part of, like, the Manchester sort of city centre, because we're not that yeah. far. Yeah. So, and obviously, like, and, like, you guys were living next mm-hmm. door, and I kind of was a bit like, oh, maybe a bit ignorant. Ignorant? Is that a... No. <laughs> Ignorant. 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 Um, <laughs> to just being like, woof, you know, just being like, oh, la-di-da-di-da. Mm. I didn't really consider it any, anything a threat, really. Yeah. Until you have those, like, rare moments where there'll, say, be, like, a big group of lads or yeah. something, and then it's a bit like, oh, you yeah. kind of do... You know, and there's still moments when, you know, I'll be going out the front door waiting for a taxi where I'll kind of be a bit sort of like, I'll have a look before yeah. waiting, you know, I'll look on the app, check my taxi's close, because yeah. I'd rather not be yeah. stood out on the street, really. Yeah. Um, and also, we're opposite a primary school, so that kind of makes you feel a little bit, a little bit safer, because it's just like, oh, it's true, kids. true. Oh, I thought you were going to say it. we're opposite a primary school, so we don't want to influence the children in the back. Well, uh, so I know, we'll I, hide in the background until the cabs here. Run out. This is the primary school, yeah. and some awkward situations where you're like getting dressed up into like yeah. lingerie, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> they're out on playtime. <laughs> oh my god. I usually close the curtains, but um, yeah, not an exhibitionist. <laughs> yes, shatter. Absolutely fine. <laughs> they can't see, and if they're looking, well, yeah. it's their problem. Um, but yeah, I, and it's not a bad estate anyway. I think you you could look at it and think, especially because of the high rises here. You, I think there's a big stereotype, isn't there? Of, yeah. Of that people in high rises are going to be like somehow I don't know killing us or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there's a lot of puffs who live in the, there the are. high rises. There are actually. Um, yeah. So it, there used to be social housing those towers, and yeah. I think there was they were they went through a phase of having a lot of queers, mm-hmm. queer identified people being moved in there through the social, which does um, it does affect the. Obviously, the the queer vibe and the kind of yeah. feelings of safety when there are other people around, like you said, like knowing that me and Joe live there, mm. obviously was like, oh, it must be cool. And that's really nice to know because, yeah, I, I, when we first moved here, it was like, vi- seemed on the surface level visibly a bit like, oh, but it wasn't really. Yeah, like, nice yeah, it is a nice area. And, and like what you said as well about like checking that your taxi is close. Those also are just kind of general queer safety things. Mm, but yeah. it's just like it's not specific to this area. I don't feel like that. It's more just a general. No, I know a lot of girls in London who say they will. They'll literally wait until the taxi is out the door and then they'll run. Yeah. To, like run into it. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel like I have to really run. I only run because I just don't want to get like you know, yeah. the rain on me or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you melt away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. One of the queens on this season of Drag Race said something like that, and we mm. were quite surprised because we were like. 
they were like, oh, you know, do you experience much homophobia where you live? And me and Joe were watching it, we were like, she lives in London, of course mm. she won't. But then she was like, no, yeah, she said something like that, she will wait for the cat to be outside and run out and jump in. And it's like, that's mad, that's, that's London. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. what I've experienced, but then saying that, I've experienced homophobia in, in Manchester, in the, in, the, in the time that I've lived here, which is like 13 years now, I've experienced it three times. Mm-hmm. And one time was uh, in Sale Water Park, uh-huh, like uh-huh. Uh, was the most recent one, uh-huh. and then once in the Northern Quarter and once in the Gay Village. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, what is the what yeah. is the rules when it comes to where you're going to encounter homophobia? I've never I've never experienced homophobia around here. Yeah, that's good. Let's all touch something wooden to make sure that that's <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I do want to talk to you about your your life as television personalities and how former <laughs> former yeah. well is that a definite former or is there a well, it's pretty definite, former at the moment definitely, definitely former definitely. for now for yeah now. For now, who knows what the future former. may bring but because I have heard and I don't know if this is true this may be just some of the mythos but I have heard that it kind of it was because of Drag Lab that Drag SOS happened Correct. is that so could you explain that? Correct. So I was um, contacted by a uh, a production company, like, and years before we ended up making anything, they were in touch with me, and they they just got in touch and just said, "We're looking at different formats to develop. We just want to start a conversation with you." And we banded around over the next kind of over a period of like two years, we banded around a number of ideas, and they became really interested in the idea of because I would talk on the phone with them about the drag lab and what we're mm-hmm. doing and this that, and then and they became really intrigued at that idea of the drag lab as a transformation space where people would come and you know enter not drag queens and exit drag queens, which wasn't necessarily what we were doing a lot of at the time, but certainly there was an air of mentorship in those early years yeah. um, of the drag lab of, of younger people coming in and learning oh. a bit about what we do and. Um, they came down and they said, well, let's just, they committed and filmed a pilot, well, a pilot, like a test shot, yeah. where they got us all involved in the lab to, they brought in, she's now a drag queen, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she's now a working drag queen on the village. Yeah. Name has slipped my mind Taylor. right now. Taylor, yes. Taylor. And, um, yeah, we shot the pilot and we all kind of, it was very different to what the show eventually yeah. became. Yeah. And it was shot downstairs here we in shot the middle. Here, wow, yeah, cool. shot her in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just that we kind of just transformed this one person. We kind of got to know them. It was very, like, pr- the only thing it was like the show, really, I can say, is it was just sort of chaos. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <Yeah>. Trying to <laughs> scrabble around what we had, knock, you know, what we had lying about. And, yeah. But, yeah, it was very definitely the mill it, in, inspired it in that in that way that what we built here with yes. the drag lab and the way that we collaborate and we the all bring something to it. Yeah, like, family. That's what they were, they really loved the, like, the idea of the family and like mm. the being a drag family and the, and that idea of small community and um, that, that thing that was beyond us just being entertainment. Yeah. So they loved that vibe. Uh, they, I think they found that very wholesome. Yeah. Um, and had a, having a strong narrative attached to it yeah. for them, because that's what people look for in reality television. Yeah, and lo- they're not looking for gritty, interesting life. They're looking for a narrative yeah. that mm, then 
normal people, quote unquote, yeah. can relate to. Yeah. And that's often what you see when queer people get represented on television. Yeah. They're not looking to really show your life and your experience as the way it is. They're yeah. looking to present your life in a way that somebody who leads a more normative life goes, I understand. Yeah. I relate to this, which yeah. is, is good. It's a different objective yeah. to what we might do in showing our lives unabashedly. And I'm not trying to mm. bash reality TV there yeah. um, because I think it does have a place and it has a value in the idea of, uh, if you like, opening up a potential for further change and further connection. Yeah. But it does sound like somewhere where perhaps you could find your ethos compromised. Totally. Yeah. I mean, did you find that with the show? I didn't, but then that was, I think, I look back and Licorice is pulling a funny face. I look back and go... And very quiet at the moment. Yeah, I, I look back at it and go, I wish certain things would have been done differently. Yeah. I don't feel like I did anything that I found ethically compromising to me. And okay. if anything did ever happen, yeah. I challenged it. Okay, that's good. And they yeah, were open were moments, to those. Yeah, there were moments... Yeah, so the, um, mm. there was moments where we were asked to kind of do stuff that well, I won't name specifics, but um, uh, yeah, we were asked to kind of do some stuff, and we kind of just like, no, we're not going to do that. That's not what we're about. That's yeah, not yeah. what our yeah our kind of um, you were um, you were like the seamstress. Yes, so we all kind of took on very different roles. Yeah, which is kind of pretty much which which kind of reflected what we do anyway. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I kind of was the seamstress of the show but everyone kind of pitched in in one way shape or another to help make the costumes because it was you know three 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 drag personas and you know not very much time (laughs) yeah but then you know so Lil was dealing with uh, mostly the makeup okay so she kind of dealt with that side and Cheddar and Anna were kind of looking more into the um, development of character and and you know speaking to people and talking to them about their emotions and why they want to do this process Mm -hmm. and also looking at things like acting and how they move and all those different things and then Titi Bang as well kind of she kind of is an all-rounder so she (laughs) kind of encompassed and also hair specifically And then we had Destina Mandela, who yeah. um, Liz says me know was on Drag Race recently, and she was came in as our dance captain. Mm-hmm. And so Destina and Sina and Titi have not really had a relationship with the male, but they kind of were brought in as a part of our extended mm-hmm. family. Yeah, and the family essentially the male has been a home for the family gorgeous in one way, shape, or another. Yeah, the so family gorgeous is our drag family that is kind of created out of our you know um, connections with each other being more a shape form, we've all kind of had a yeah an involvement in the mill. Yeah. So I'd definitely say that the Islington Mill at some point has definitely been a home to the, the family gorgeous because you know Laurie Laurie is yep. um, work, working here as a you know music artist and stuff and you know every, everyone's all around. So Islington Mill was very incubative, if mm. that's a word yeah. for the family gorgeous. Like uh, a nest. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Totally. And I yeah. think it's interesting seeing how those, like I was talking about earlier with the idea of things coming in waves, like how you have formation and then dispersal and formation yeah. and dispersal. Um, and, and now people, it feels like a moment where everyone's doing like little 
bits and bobs here there mm -hmm. and everywhere mm -hmm. but you've seen that more generally in the drag scene as well like as uh, with the popularity of RuPaul's Drag Race yeah um, and with the growth of because I remember when you know we, we all went to bollocks yeah there was one place yeah. there was yeah. one place where all of the weirdos went and then it feels like you had this kind of clustering and then this dispersal as people created yeah. their own individual things that catered mm -hmm. for specific groups and specific communities yeah. And then I think you will see again a reformation as those things disappear and fade and become yeah, less yeah. relevant or they turn into different things or they join up with other yeah. things, you'll feel that well, coming the, together. Right? That stuff definitely is affected by physical, the availability of physical resources as mm. well. Though, because a lot of the reason that that first wave of bollocks dispersed was because Legends, Legends. got shut down. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we didn't have a home to do our stuff. And Sorry, bollocks please. was very supportive of the of the family totally. gorgeous and of tranarchy and totally. stuff in those early days because they had that space they could afford to share with other promoters and stuff mm -hmm. and to incubate really cool interesting things and i think uh currently i think bollocks is in a really good place so i think mm -hmm. something like that might be forming again around that hub but yeah um yeah it feels like We've covered quite a lot. Oh, one thing that you did say, though, and that is an area of interest to me, and I'm sure you'll both have quite a lot of opinions, mm. is how has the world of drag in general changed, though, since, you know, the start of or the drag lab here, but even maybe a bit further back since you both first got into it, because, you know, it's a multi-million dollar industry now. Mm. You both must have thoughts about this. <laughs> it's, you know... Um, you can definitely say that we've benefited from it. Like okay. It's been, you know, you, you can never have a, uh, you can never be too critical because you have to go, would venues be booking us if it wasn't for the explosion of it? Or would we, would we even be able to do it as a, you know, so for myself, I, I it's considered like my full-time career now. Yeah. And I'll, I do sewing on the side, but that, that's, I call that encompassing. Okay, so just to clarify for the listeners then, so you make a full-time listener living off drag yes and you do do things on the other side like you still do what's the word seeming yeah I still make costumes but it's also I make costumes for drag queens I make yes. costumes for burlesque artists yeah. so I think the cabaret scene has definitely also benefit, benefited from it becoming more mainstream so there are general venues so we work for Albert Schloss which is um, yeah. one of you know like the sort of considered one of the more mainstream yeah. um, bars in Manchester but we're working you know we've got a full show team of drag queens burlesque yeah. artists like that before all this seemed a bit I didn't see it personally but I yeah. may just not have been involved so yeah. I think it's definitely benefited but it also has had an influence on things like creativity and what is considered drag and what is considered that form of art forms yeah. and it's definitely made everyone become even more boxy than they were yeah. before yeah like i remember when we first started tranarchy like drag could be anything really that there was such an element of mess and chaos in it and cheapness like oh really oh. really pound shop cardboard boxes mm. Car yeah I, like, I wore bin bags yeah bin like you know aesthetic like pennies mm. for your aesthetic like literally mm. which is just just seems to be gone now and yeah i watched an interesting video about drag race the other night and it was just like it is coming to a head of how how are they expecting queens who go on the show 
before they have that level of recognition that drag race can afford them. How do they expect these kind of low level working queens to be able to afford like 20 looks? Mm-hmm. But Literally also, 20 how, looks. how do you like, have the time to put that together? And so if you look at most people who've been doing drag for a long time, they normally have a side gig. They're normally yeah. doing something mm-hmm. else or drag is their side gig. Yes. Um, and so a lot of the time, the only people who can invest in spending time to apply for the show are those who have either been doing drag for a very, very long time and they have a stable living from it and you say they have that established stuff or students, people who may have other methods of support. So you start to have a class dynamic that comes yeah. into who can succeed in drag, yeah. who can afford to work with all the designers yeah. that they want to work with. Um, I think there is something uh, about the main, there's something about the mainstreamification of drag, which, as Licorice says, can be an incredibly positive thing. But I think you have to look at the broader economic dynamic that's started to happen now. So mm. you have an almost pyramid-like scheme system set up, yeah. where which is, of course, the the great pyramid scheme of unregulated free market capitalism, right? So you have the the people at the top who are used as the aspirational figureheads. Yes. Um, and sold to you with the dream anybody can make it if you just work hard enough. It's yeah. a classic meritocratic lie. Um, when in truth, what you end up with is absolutely, it's a multi-million dollar industry, but the weight, the, the, the wealth is weighted at the top, right? Um, and what's interesting is I think there's a lot of opportunities for people at the bottom who can afford to not work for anything. Yes. And like students, kids, like, they can I, afford to come along to a night and just put a look together. You have so many creative industries. You have this very thin slice in the middle. So you have a very small top, which is everybody's looking towards, and you have this thin slice in the middle of the working queens who are working very hard yeah. to try and bring an income in. And I yeah. think that and they're the full-time working queens. And I don't think... I don't think it's necessarily a fantastic dynamic, but the, as artists at the moment, you, you do have to also recognise it's the only game in town and the thing that didn't exist before was any chance yeah. of their being successful or wealthy. So you can't moan too much about it, yeah. but what you can recognise is that whilst that opportunity didn't exist, you also didn't have this large base of people who have become interested in drag yeah. because of the potential aspiration to be rich and famous. Yeah. When when we started drag, that was not what motivated us. Yes. We we had to burst out because yeah. there was something inside us that wasn't being seen. Yeah. Uh, there was a lack of a, a feeling of connection and community. And so we used drag to, to do that. And absolutely, we started, it was nice when you started to get paid like yeah. 50 quid to go along to a club night. That yeah, was yeah, really yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but it was not a viable career yeah. at that point for most of us. Um, and so it's, it's interesting now in trying to reconcile that it's wonderful to have that opportunity. And I love seeing queer people get rich. Yep. Who doesn't love seeing queer people Getting get paid. rich? Get Absolutely. paid. Absolutely. But it is about recognising that that comes with the payoff of also there's this huge amount of people now who are now doing an interested in drag. Oh. And I'm not delegitimizing their interest in drag because I, you know, I, I can't speak to what interests them. Yeah. But in the same way of what X Factor and Britain's Got Talent may have done to singing and musicians, yeah. and those early, those very early TV shows that are around bands, mm. you know what I mean? And I know a lot of very, very, very talented musicians that getting paid is a rarity. Yeah. And I think that's probably going to be the interesting thing is that we're moving towards that model of fame and celebrity. Yeah. Now, so I've talked quite a bit on this, sorry. No, go um, on, yeah, yeah. So great. whilst 
whilst I am not incredibly critical of that, yeah. um, as somebody, I have aspiration, I want to be rich and famous. Of course yeah. I do. Like, yeah. you want to be rich and famous. Of course you want to do. I, I want to be, be secure. Well, I want to be secure. <laughs> secure. I, yeah. I want to be secure to be able to build, um, to, to build a home for my queer family. Yes. That's what I want to be able to do in the future. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, that is an amazing route to look at to doing something like that. Um, what was I going to say about singers? I've lost my own train of thought now. Bands, talking about that early programs that bands. Oh yes, I think. And what? So whilst I'm not, whilst I'm not completely critical of heading towards that system for drag as a form of aspirational celebrity and success. Yeah. Um, I think what we need to be really cautious of is, like what happened with music, is losing a perspective on the social importance and the social function of drag. Yeah. We can't simply reduce what drag is yeah. to entertaining the masses. My, what I would chip in with there is that I would be worried about that because music as an art form and as a culture in its own right, but also as a cultural influencer, has had a much bigger influence on mainstream culture for a longer time than drag has mm. and i feel like for quite a lot of people drag will just be the things that are seemingly come out of nowhere mm. and they'll be like oh what was this men like you know i think when you live in the uk mm. we've got a pretty better view of what drag is in terms of like it's been around for centuries and mm. it's an expression of xyz but i think there's still loads of people out there who are just like i've never seen this before so i think you need to be careful when it's seems that ruthless to certain of the consumers that it doesn't become distorted and actually really ripped away from its roots of what it is i think there's, there's more of a risk if that makes sense there's that i think there's more of a risk of it being rooted in reality television yeah but yeah that's, that's kind that's, of what i mean that's what i mean yes. a lot of people in the street they'll shout at you rupaul's drag race even yeah. though i have no connection to it yeah you know i've never had any involvement with it but you'll get that shouted at you because that's mainstream people's view on what we do is they just they just go oh it's drug race yes and you do what you do because of drug race and it's like yes of course drug race has been an influence on my life it yeah. can't not be because yeah. you know it's the biggest thing within the drag world but that's not why i do what i do and it's not the it's not the cause of it it's not the thing that has made it happen yeah. so for them to kind of for everyone to kind of narrow it down to that one thing yes that's it's like imagine like going past a singer and just shouting x factor yeah exactly it's just exactly. This weird but singers do get that all the time if they're a singer who's mm. jobbing on the street they're like you should be on x factor well yeah yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but yeah i feel like the there's a bigger there's a bigger um, knowledge of history and involvement yes. and creativity. Yeah. I think going back to like how we are all influenced within drag is for me is like I ca I come up doing drag via the arts world. Mm -hmm. I I like stu I studied at art school and so for me being in Islington it's just another step within that world. Yeah. Um you kind of come from a more anthropo Please say it for me. Anthropological. <laughs> that one. Um, anthropological um, background. Anthroposexual. Um, Anthroposexual. <laughs> Cheddar's kind of world of like drag is also is looking about looking at culture and looking at the way that we are society and mirroring things and talking about gender and things like that. Basically, smart stuff. Um, Anna. Anna's an actor. Mm -hmm. Like Anna, you know, just been just been in a film. Just uh -huh. been in um, everyone talking about Jamie. Yeah. Um, is doing pantos. You know, is a jobbing actor, mm. and that's how they came at drag. Whereas I'm seeing a lot of these, in like, I don't want to say younger. These young guns. These young guns because they're not that much younger than me. <laughs> but a lot of them come at it 
just via Drag Race. Yes, they don't have exactly. much other references. Yeah. So for me, it's like my references are um, old black and white photography, mm, artists, yeah. people like Lee Barry, and you know all these yeah. different kind of cultural things. Where is if the only culture you're reflecting is Drag Race, yeah. then it's kind of it. Dev- it doesn't devoid it, but it kind of it loses. Any yeah, kind totally. of drag queens making drag about drag. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's becoming drag about drag. Yes, drag about drag. That's is, that's a really good way of articulating that. Actually, mm-hmm. drag is something about drag. Rejecting. Whereas that's not what yeah, drag, drag is. Drag's no. talking about different stuff. Look at like Joe Joyce. Like yeah. that is completely not drag race, but, but it's something. It's its own entity. Like it's when inspired I was, by stuff. How I came to drag was through Divine. Yeah. And Divine is one of the most ultimate fuck you normative society characters yeah. that's ever existed. And that's and also she's a big fat woman. <laughs> it just mm. looks great, like. But she used her size to accentuate everything about her, and they made her look even bigger and even wilder in her looks and stuff like that. So like my when I was a kid growing up, and it was so, not taboo, but it was so um, liminal. Is that the word? Yes. Um, and yes. of like, oh, drag. That means divine. She eats shit. Mm. She eats shit, and she likes it. And it was just like. Now, you know, I've not seen any of the queens on Drag Race eating shit. But you know, what's interesting about that is Diana. I wish they would. That expression had a dangerous power. Yeah, and yeah, I think don't This is the thing that so happens with, with so, so often with mainstreamification is that they will take the elements that already society knows how to digest and they will amplify those elements yeah. and turn the art form into solely being defined by that. Yeah. And I think if we look at people creating drag about drag, it ends up making it so safe because it's already pre-cleared and that's where the spiral goes, right? It goes into this pre-cleared territory. Even those people who have had breakaway fame, they don't do anything that is that crazy and out there unless it's on their OnlyFans on a private channel and it's never reported on. So I think for me, that's why... And and that leads into uh, a bigger dynamic of the separation of things that are entertainment yeah. uh, and removing them from their political and social function. Yeah. And that's because in their, in their places having a political and social function, they are dangerous to the normative. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's the thing that I think we need to try and keep hold of. And particularly yeah. from, from, for those of us who have dipped our toes into reality television, yeah. you know, thinking about how do you continue to maintain that energy and try and be a conduit towards that energy of disruption yeah. but also of cultural remixing mm. yeah I don't, I don't claim to be a great cultural you know like I'm not exactly rocking the boat with what I do but I feel like I've kind of created my own thing and I've stuck with it mm, you've got a very Whereas solid like, niche like. yeah it's like everyone, everyone needs to have their niche and that's how yeah. I always come up think anything like art or anything like anything with drag when people say to us like oh I want to start drag what should I'm like find your niche yeah find what it is that makes you want to do what you want to do and why you want to do it and also why people should even look or listen to you cool it's getting very noisy outside so I'm going to wrap it up now but I think on a on a nice positive note to end it by what would your advice be to young queens who are just coming up now (coughs) having life outside of drag yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It, it it can be very wrapped up in it and yeah, you know, we all have our moments where we kind of sometimes get a bit blinded by it and you kind of you get so focused. So always have um you know, always have fingers in other pies. Yeah. Keep your interests out elsewhere. There's two reasons. Yeah. I think for me there's two reasons of have a life outside of drag, have a job outside of drag, and the two reasons are one, 
you may need it to survive. True. Two, it will make your drag more interesting. Cool. Do you think the drag lab has been that for you guys? It's not, it's like, it's a part of your drag world, but also surely it's a bit of a... Uh, a drama factory. <laughs> for, me, for, me, for me, the drag lab is my separation, so I have Even. my home. I have my home is my right. home, and drag is not involved there. I yeah. come here, I do my work. Yeah. It becomes, it, make, it makes it its job. It, it yeah. makes it its space where I go there to be creative. I can go home and I leave it all behind. Yeah. Like work balance. Yeah. Okay, well... Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. That got a bit heavy, but I quite liked it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say to you, Licorice, that, yes. you know, you say, because I feel you, your focus is aesthetic, mm. right? And I think you sometimes then think that you don't have, that that aesthetic doesn't have anything more and deep to it. So I look at your work and I say it's an exploration of vibrancy beyond colour. The stereotype of what people think of when they think of camp and gay and, and vibrant and fabulous is very colourful um, and you've done something in total defiance of that that still manages to succeed in that world and I think that's very special and powerful. Yeah. And also I would, add, to it, I, like to. I would add to that by saying that there is a normative view of aesthetic in and of its own right in the mainstream world which is that it's not important mm -hmm. or it's just the surface but us as queers recognise yeah. that aesthetic in and of itself is super important. Mm -hmm. So to be exploring in depth an aesthetic is very, very worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Very much like the mill itself. It looks very like grim from the outside, but inside oh, it's a little bit grim, but it's also it's still very, pretty grim. It's very fabulous. <laughs> <Exactly. so. laughs> hey, thank you. Hey. Thank you.